You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and a certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself, gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do, and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, hey, episode 113. Now, I know we're a good part into January already, but if you're the kind of person who wanted to do a New Year's resolution but didn't quite get it together before, still interested, and you really want to heal your relationship with food, or you really want to learn a little bit more about yourself, you really want to just grow, self-growth, all that. 2024, your vibe is self-growth. And we all know that that's a really nice way of looking at 2024, and we do this hurrah, hurrah vibes, but without anything small and measurable, that's not going to work. So what I would suggest is downloading my journal prompts, which will be a great way to A, keep this measurable and small, but B, learn so, so much about you and your relationship with food. You can scroll down in the show notes. I have it there. It's also on the website. What you'll do is get a whole bunch of journal prompts. Either you can follow them however you want to, or it's a little bit more structured for those of you who can benefit from that. And you will be well on your way to working toward your goals, but not in a vibes way, in an actual measurable way. Now, this week's episode, we're talking about highly sensitive people. And I honestly didn't even know that this was a thing until a few years ago. I think it's just sort of like a get with the program, Rachel. There's words for everything. But I guess the first thing that I wanted to say about this idea of highly sensitive people is that Everybody has emotions. Everybody is sensitive to a certain extent, even if you don't want to be. Even if you're one of those like macho, macho guys or strong women. I I don't know why we've sort of like created macho and strong without emotions, but whatever. Even if you want to be one of those people, even if you're one of those, if you want to believe you're one of those people like on TV, you're not because you're a human and humans have emotions. Some people are more sensitive than others, hence the highly sensitive people. But to say that, you know, this person's highly sensitive and this person just sort of like lets things roll off their back is, I don't know how accurate that is. So let's just sort of like call it spade to spade. You all, we all have emotions. So we are all sensitive people. Now, the next thing to think about is how much of this quote, highly sensitive people population, which I think a lot of us actually identify. So before I talk any more about the uh, highly sensitive person, I wanted to just talk about my understanding of what that entails. And I think to a certain extent, it's sort of exactly how it sounds, which is kind of self-explanatory in that this person is a lot more in tune to other people's voices, facial expressions, words, just overall vibes. And they're super, super aware to tiny nuances that maybe other people might not be aware of. And then what happens is they're impacted so much more because their awareness is so much more heightened. 
No, I think what's important to talk about before we go any further is this idea of nature versus nurture. How did it come to be that somebody might be highly sensitive and the next person is just not? And I I think that what we'd like to believe is that people are just born this way. Some people are more sensitive than others and that's just how the cookie crumbles. But I don't really know if that is so true. I am sure that there is a part of this that is genetic or that is sort of in one's personality because how could it not be? I'm totally not backing this up by science, but how could it not be? But there's a large part of this that given my understanding of human psychology and development, I don't know how possible it is for us to leave it at that, that some people are just more prone to being highly sensitive than others. And that's just sort of like, depending on how you were born that there has to be a certain element of experience and how someone interacted with their emotions, how others interacted with this person and their emotions that then made them learn how to interpret certain voices and facial expressions and words and tone and emotion that then created a whole new set of what this means to create a person who is highly sensitive. Now, I don't see this to say that if you are a highly sensitive person, that this is, you know, all environmental and you had experiences and that's what makes you highly sensitive. I don't mean this to sort of blame or point fingers, but I do think that when we narrow a highly sensitive person's experience to just saying that they were born this way, it sort of shuts down, you know, 80% of the conversation or maybe more in that we don't understand how this came to be, why this came to be, and ultimately how to deal with it. So much of the information of how to deal with something is based on the context. And so if we think about somebody, quote, learning to be a highly sensitive person, then we have so much more information about how to deal with situations that feel really, really, really tough for somebody who might be more sensitive than somebody else. Now, whether you're thinking about this concept as something that relates to you personally, because you are a highly sensitive person or you identify as a highly sensitive person, or you are either working with somebody because you're a clinician or you have a family member that might fall into this bracket, the concepts that I'm sharing are across the board. So depending on where you put yourself, which seat you put yourself, you'll understand the concepts differently, but it's all the same across the board. A lot of people who struggle with eating disorders or any form of disordered eating do identify as highly sensitive in some capacity. This is not a one size fits all, but it it does happen very often where somebody who struggles with an eating disorder also identifies as being highly sensitive. And I think what often happens is that the overload is way too much, the emotional overload. There are too many things that the person is experiencing, whether or not they're aware of it, it's just overwhelming. So they might not know that they're feeling all these million different ways, but they do know that the intensity is at 100 plus. And so for somebody like that, it's going to be so much harder to regulate your emotions, to tolerate them, in which case they're going to be more prone to turning to other things to try to regulate because it's so overwhelming. And we know that people use food or lack thereof or exercise or any eating disorder behaviors as a means to regulate intolerable emotions. And if somebody is more prone to feeling intolerable emotions, then you had better believe they are more prone to gravitate toward any sort of eating disorder behaviors, really any behaviors, you know, any sort of substance or unhealthy coping mechanisms 
but specifically with eating disorders, of course, they are more prone to eating disorders because there's a lot more emotion that they have no idea what the heck to do with. So I think the biggest question here is, if you are a person who is highly sensitive, how do you deal with intense emotion? Sometimes it's like all thoughts and all logic completely go out the window because you're just seeing red or feeling so, so hurt and really impulsive because I need to get rid of this right now. This is so, so intense. And what a lot of people don't understand is like, it's not just about ringing down the intensity from a hundred to a 90. That's not even something that somebody is thinking about. We can't just sort of like use skills in a moment where somebody is incredibly, incredibly distressed. This is something that is highly physical. Yes, it's an emotional experience, but it then translates to almost like a primarily physical experience in that their body just doesn't know what to do with themselves. And so I think it's really, really amazing that, you know, a lot of schools and a lot of therapy is focused on skill building and affirmation and distress tolerance. Like these are going to be the nuts and bolts of how to navigate the world as a highly sensitive person. I also think that you cannot possibly integrate any of the skills that you learn, distress tolerance, emotion regulation, affirmation, mindfulness, whatever it is, if you don't have a simple equation in place. And this equation applies across the board from kids. So if you're a parent, this is like number one parenting, from my opinion, 101. That is often the hardest thing to do and the most important thing to do. But also as an adult, whether you're talking to yourself or you're a clinician working with somebody who's in front of you, this is going to be the most important piece of information that you will ever get in terms of learning emotional resilience. There are a few things that somebody, every single person needs in order to increase their ability to tolerate difficult emotions and experiences. Those things are validation, support, acceptance, warmth, all of which need to be completely unconditional. And the reason why I add the warmth in there is because validation and support and acceptance, all those things have sort of become buzzwords lately and they lack the empathy and the warmth that true, genuine validation and unconditional support and unconditional acceptance has. So think about it this way. You're sitting with somebody who somebody is crying. They're really, really upset. And the person's like, oh, I'm so sorry you're experiencing that. You know, they're sort of saying all the things that they need to say I'm here for you. This is okay. But you sort of get a vibe that they're either detached from it or they don't quite mean it. Or, you know, you turn around tomorrow and they sort of say something mean or not even mean, just like not incredibly supportive. There's something lacking there. The warmth, the genuineness of it is lacking. And when you think of real validation, real support, unconditional support, acceptance, that comes from a place of, I see you. I am going to sit with you. This is a really, really, really uncomfortable emotion, whether again, you're sitting with a kid or an adult. This is really, really difficult. Tell me about it. I am going to be here and I'm going to demonstrate that. I'm not going to say it per se. I mean, although saying it is great, 
I'm going to demonstrate the validation, the unconditional support and the acceptance in this warm, loving way and not so much using the buzzwords that I was taught that I need to use. And so, you know, if it's appropriate to sit together with this person and give them a hug or to let them know that you are there for them, no matter what. So that might be, okay, you're feeling this, tell me more. Like You're not going to be afraid of it. You're not going to run away. You're not going to scream at them or yell at them or get disappointed with whatever they're saying. You're going to be curious. You're going to be warm. You're going to be loving, which is all in the acceptance and the support part that comes out through curiosity as opposed to saying the words, I accept you and support you. That is the only way that somebody will be able to learn how to tolerate their emotions. No amount of teaching skills, no amount of learning distress tolerance or mindfulness skills will build this skill the same way that true validation and unconditional support will. It's kind of the same thing. I think I talked about this before. Maybe it really, really bugs me. It's kind of the same way that the kids' TV shows has sort of really, really changed or even the elementary school curriculum these days has completely changed in that there's a large focus on social emotional learning that is basically DBT skills, which is distress tolerance, emotional regulation, mindfulness, all that stuff, uh, accepting dialectics, which, which again, I'll reiterate, is absolutely incredible. And the fact that we are paying attention to this and teaching skills and putting it into our cartoons is absolutely incredible. But what I think it lacks the TV shows, the social emotional learning, whatever it is in schools, what it lacks is this true empathy, this true validation of sitting with the kid in front of you and having true unconditional positive regard for this person sitting in front of you. I am curious about your experience. I accept you no matter what. I will not punish you for having the thoughts, for saying the thing. You know, of course, when punishment is necessary. That's a whole nother story. But I do think that kids completely get, and we're, as adults, we're just big kids to a certain extent. We get when it's coming from a position of warmth and acceptance and love, as opposed to just sort of more the sterile, I'm implementing these skills because I think that that works. So going back to somebody who's highly sensitive, I think that part of the equation for developing this quote, highly sensitive way of interacting the world almost comes from just being told to shut up in some way, shape or form, whether it was to be, you know, literally be told like, just, we don't feel that way, or you're being such a drama queen, like get yourself together. Or it was just sort of like under the surface, like, okay, well, you're feeling angry. What are the skills that you need to use? As opposed to like, no, this kid is feeling really, really angry whether it's literal or figurative, hold them, hold them in their anger, teach them that the anger is not intolerable. And then eventually they will implement the skills, but not completely overlooking the fact that they are having a big emotion and sitting in it with them, that you are not scared of the emotion, that you are not telling them to push it away in some way, shape or form. No, I think this equation obviously is really important, like I said, for parenting and if you're a therapist or any form of clinician to to use in your sessions. And, and sometimes when I think about a lot of these different therapies that are coming out, which again, are great that we're learning new ways to provide treatment for people. But ultimately, when you think about a really, really good clinician, this is the nuts and bolts. This is the 101. 
Are you able to sit with a really uncomfortable, almost intolerable sensation that is between the two of you, that is someone's bringing this up? Are you able to be curious about things that might be scary? Are you able to hold whatever it is that this person is telling you? Obviously, we work through it, but are you able to sit with it or does it make you uncomfortable? Do you try to push it away? Do you try to just run to the skills? In which case, the person sitting in front of you will 100% pick that up and they'll know you can't tolerate it. Why should I be able to tolerate it? So I think, you know, if that's where you're coming from, from a parent or clinician point of view, this is probably the most important piece of information you're going to get from this episode. Now, what if this is you? Because like I said, it's probably a lot of us who's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of me. I'm pretty sensitive. Even if I don't want to say it, or I'm very proud to say it, that's, you know, that's a lot of us. And I think that The first thing to keep in mind is that nothing is wrong with you. People are like, oh my gosh, I'm so crazy because all of these things are hurting me and impacting me and and I feel crazy. But the first thing to know is that you are not crazy and there is nothing wrong with you. Literally nothing wrong with you. You are just sensitive and having emotions like a human does. There's nothing wrong with you. The next thing to keep in mind is to accept whatever you're feeling. And it's not just sort of like, oh, I accept whatever I'm feeling. You accept whatever you're feeling by identifying it, almost inviting it in, like identifying if you know what the emotion is called, that's great. But what's also really important is identifying the physical experiences that go along with it. If we can boil down an emotional experience to a physical experience, A, it bridges the gap between mind and body, which for the most part is <laughs> a very long bridge away. So it does bridge that gap. But also what it does is it reduces an emotional experience to something that might be a little bit more tangible and then feel a little bit more like you can tolerate it because it is broken down into smaller pieces. So the kind of thing where the emotion might be bigger than the sum of its parts. And so if we break it down, these are the physical experiences. I feel really tight in my chest. I feel tingly in my fingers. I feel numb in my legs. I feel lots of energy in my legs. I feel tense in my shoulders, whatever it is. I think it's really important that in order to teach yourself that you accept whatever it is, is to identify it, say what you're experiencing it. And that goes hand in hand with embracing it. If you are a visual person, like I would encourage you to envision a literal embrace, like you are getting down on your knees and hugging this emotion or hugging this little girl, little boy version of you feeling the emotion. And that this emotion is here for a reason. I have no idea what this reason is, nor do I care, honestly, in this moment, but I'm going to accept that you are here for a reason, emotion. And I'm going to embrace you because you must have a reason. And if you didn't have a reason, you wouldn't be here. So let me just bring in that idea that you must be trying to tell me something. I think with all of this in place, it is important to then remind yourself, I am okay, even though I feel something big. And ideally, somebody else would do this for you. But in lieu of that, you can start doing it for yourself. I am okay, even though I feel something big. I am okay because I'm feeling this set of physical experiences. And they're here for a reason. They're trying to tell me something. And I feel something really, really big. I don't necessarily feel okay, but I I know I will be telling yourself that. Then, and only then can you implement some skills to take a deep breath or punch something or whatever it is that you 
have learned to deal with in these moments. And of course, it goes without saying to talk to a friend or a therapist so that they can listen to you and they can provide this unconditional positive regard, support, acceptance, warmth, and validation for you, which obviously is super, super important, probably number one important. That goes without saying to talk to somebody, but I think only once you have accepted that these things are here and that they must have a reason and that you are okay and that you feel validated and almost curious about them because, you know, hey, this thing is uncomfortable and I really don't like it, but it's here. I'm okay. Then and only then can you implement skills. I think the next part is, you know, one of my favorites because it gets down to the why. I think it's important to note that this is not exactly something that you might be able to do in the moment, perhaps after many, many, many times and you don't feel that uh, activated. I hate the word activated, but I'm going to use it because we all use it these days. You're not that, quote, activated and you can sort of think about things or you can do this later, you know, after the fact. I think what's really important, go back to the, if you're a visual person, to really get to know this emotion. Again, go down on your knees and look at the little girl version and identify what age she's at. She is seven years old. She is 12 years old. She's five years old. Get down next to her and ask, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to teach me? What do I need to know? What do you need? And that's going to be a really, really, really important question because chances are you are feeling so, so hurt or so, so angry by something because you're not necessarily reacting to what's going on right now. You are reacting to something going on right now as it then, quote, triggers, again, one of my favorite words, something in your past. And so let's say you're experiencing some form of rejection, whether or not it was a true rejection is completely irrelevant. You're experiencing it. And then you get really, really, really hurt and upset and sad and maybe angry, but it doesn't necessarily match what's going on today. And so what we have to think about is how is this little girl in me being activated because of her rejection? That's almost reminding me right now. This experience today is reminding me of that past experience. And part of what this does is allow you to detach your past experience of rejection in this example to your current experience of rejection. So that maybe right now you can experience the hurt, the sadness, or the disappointment that you feel with the rejection in a way that isn't super intense because, you know, it was just uh, an offhand comment that someone made while being able to process the intense disappointment, sadness, and hurt perhaps from past rejections that are probably not just some offhand comment, but some sort of deeply relational trauma that has occurred in your past and not necessarily one time, but over and over and over and over and over again. But the ability to detach these two, to listen to your eight-year-old self and ask her, what do you need in this moment? What's hurting you? How can I ultimately detach this experience that she's having to what my current self is having can actually give you the opportunity to think about, okay, so what's going on today? How can I, I don't know, stand up for myself? How can I learn from this experience and do it a different way next time? How can I take this as an opportunity? How can I, you know, learn from this hurt and rejection? How can I take this and move forward with it as opposed to getting paralyzed by it because I'm so, so sensitive to it? So I think of, you know, of course, that's why it's my favorite because it's really understanding 
why is this person getting so activated in this moment? It can't possibly be from this email or from this one interaction. It has to be based on their history, based on their experience. And then when we get into the nitty gritties of trying to detach that from our past, then the sky's the limit from what you can learn. The last thing I want to leave you with is that if you are a highly sensitive person, you might see that as a negative. You might see that as, you know, just sort of like this hurdle that you have to get through. And it's really, really annoying because other people don't have to. But I want to remind you this. Someone who is highly sensitive, who is super in tune with other people's experience, with your own experience, it's like uh, on steroids. Like you're sort of like on something and you can really, really, really tap into all the nitty gritties. That is your superpower. You are privy to information that nobody else in the world, unless they're highly sensitive, is privy to. You can connect with people in a way that nobody else can. You have tremendous superpower in a way that other people probably can't even fathom. And so if you work at it, and if you put yourself in constant situations where you are provided validation, unconditional support, acceptance, warmth, love, all of that, so that you can learn how to tolerate your emotions, you have struck gold. Because not only are you able to now tolerate really, really uncomfortable and almost intolerable emotion, but now you have the superpower to be able to do things and go even further than other people can possibly even imagine. So keep that in mind when the going gets tough. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.